Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everybody and welcome to a new episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with Cara Berry. Crazy enough, I'm the host and my name is Cara Berry. Um, there's no bad bitch quote for the week. Actually, I'm going to suspend them for the month because it, as most of you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And by that, I mean, it's February and it's Black History Month. So what I was going to do this month is to um, highlight some black people who have given a lot of, you know, contributions to the culture. Um, this is going to be a little bit of a long one, but I think it's really going to be worth it. I thought this was great. This is a story of a man named William Dorsey Swan, but to his friends, he was known as the Queen. Um, born in Maryland in around 1858, Swan endured slavery, the Civil War, racism, police surveillance, torture behind bars, and many other injustices. But beginning in the 1880s, he not only became the first American activist to lead a queer resistance group, he also became, in the same decade, the first person known to dub himself a, quote, queen of drag or a drag queen. Um, so in 1896, William had been convicted and sentenced to 10 months in jail on the false charge of, um, what they would call keeping a disorderly house, which means it's a euphemism for running a brothel. Um, Swan demanded and denied and was denied a pardon from president Grover Cleveland for holding a drag ball. So this was a historic act is the first 
recorded American to take specific legal and political steps to defend the queer community's right to gather without the threat of criminalization, suppression, or police violence. So, um, he also had a an article written about him, um, you know, in the late 80s of 18, late 1880s. Um, so this article is from the Washington Post of, from April 13th, 1888. The headline is Negro Dive Raided 13 Black Men Dresses Women Surprised at Supper and Arrested. According to another news account, more than a dozen escaped as the officers barged in and Swan tried to stop them, boldly telling the police lieutenant in charge, you is no gentleman. Okay. Um, in the ensuing brawl, the queen's, quote, gorgeous dress of cream-colored satin was torn to shreds. Um, and this fight was also known as one of the first known instances of violent resistance in the name of LGBTQ rights. Um, so, obviously, in the 1800s, this was, like, a shocking and immoral situation. Um, they thought that, you know, I guess these men that like to dress as women were, like, a tiny minority of freaks basically um there was an article from the national republican which is a uh, a publication back in the day from washington that said uh the men arrested in the raid were it's safe to say to assume excuse me it's safe to assert that the number living as those do who were taken into custody last night must be exceedingly small um but they made quite an impression hundreds of onlookers followed the men to the station to seal to just basically take a look at him um so that spring night in 1888 was not the first time that the dc police had broken up one of swan's dances nor would it be the last a similar raid occurred on the night of january 14th 1887 the washington critic uh reported six colored men dressed in elegant female attire were arraigned in the dock at the police uh court this morning on a charge of being suspicious persons they nearly all had on low neck and short sleeve silk dresses several of them with trains as well as corsets bustles long hose and slippers and everything that goes to make a female's dress complete so drag balls had been going on in secret for years um you know people would whisper at the ymca um they you know there would be like talk about it in the newspaper um and but yeah i mean this was you know, not, he wasn't like the arbiter of drag balls, but is that the right word? He didn't originate the drag balls, but you know, this was a thing that was going on. Okay. So in 1882, uh, William served a jail term for stealing plates and silverware and other party supplies for these drag shows. Um, but the 1887 raid was the first time that the wider world learned of him and his motley group of messengers, butlers, coachmen, and cooks. Um, so Swan's drag, drag balls obviously was an extremely risky thing, not only for him, but for the people who attended, their reputations, their livelihoods. Um, a lot of people managed to flee during the police raids, but the names of those people that were addressed arrested and jailed were printed in the papers and obviously these men would become targets of you know scorn and and other horrible things um so basically they've been outed at this point um yeah and it's just like a it was just like a hard thing to grapple with like sexuality and all of that um so you know they didn't have the terms that we use today like cross-dressing and transgender or gender non-conforming um 
They were described in a medical journal. William and his friends were described as an organization of colored erotopaths and a lecherous gang of sexual perverts. Um, another psychiatrist named Irving Rossi described them as a band of Negro men with androgynous char- characteristics. Um, so obviously, like, like I said, these guys were outed in the newspaper, so it made them really hard to, you know, be public, um, because people wanted to harm them. Um, the more people that knew they would, you know, basically just try to stay hidden, um, from people who they thought would be mean to them. Uh, but with the same note, now that things out, there are also people that are interested. Um, so William Swan continued doing these drag balls. Um, they would feature folk songs and dances, and there would be a, something called a cakewalk because the best dancer would be awarded with a cake or another confection, um, for winning, Obviously, many of the guests dressed in women's clothes, although some wore men's suits. Uh, Yeah, so the actions of Swan and his followers were particularly significant in light of the 19th century attitudes toward masculinity. Um, You know, Abraham Lincoln was quoted as saying... um, at the start of the civil war to go forward without fear and with manly hearts to fight a war that would eventually lead to full citizenship for, you know, slaves. Um, obviously we know 1862 Lincoln signed the emancipation act and that freed slaves in the area of DC. Um, excuse me. Um, Washington DC would, years later become seen as like a newly liberated um, place for African-Americans to go as a, you know, to be free and to seek economic opportunity. Um, Swan was the property of a white woman named Ann Murray and was living on her plantation in Hancock County, Maryland, um, when the Union soldiers marched through in the winter of 1862. Um, He had a friend named Pierce Lafayette, Lafayette, um, who stayed with him. He's, they stayed with him. And yeah, I mean, they basically like had a relationship. Um, he had a, uh, another dude on the side, like a side dude. Um, yeah, it was a whole thing. So, um, two of William Swan's younger brothers also attended his balls and dressed in women's clothing and yeah, it was proving that the group was really an extension of his actual family. So basically around 1900, William Swan retired from the drag scene. His little brother, Daniel, continued the family tradition. He provided costumes for the drag community there for about 50 years until his death in 1954. And through the rise and fall of notable black DC drag queens like Alden Garrison and the mother, Louis Driggs. Um, so by actually the early 19th century, newspapers in the Baltimore and Washington area were like a little bit more chill about how they would describe these drag balls. Um, they would, uh, you know, using family terms to denote the rank within the group's balls, like, you know, calling the head person mother as like an older person who was a mentor to the younger ones. Um, the term queen, drag queen, was also, was used 
usually as like until the 1960s, it was more of a term for like a, somebody who's in a position of honor and leadership in the community, obviously that. Um, so yeah, I mean, more than a century after his death, um, or after his last ball, uh, the house is, contemporary ballroom scene maintain the same basic format as the house of swan um the balls feature competitive walking dances with an exaggerated exaggerated pantomime gestures and they are organized like family like family-like groups led by mothers and queens um and also there are descriptions from balls in the 1930s that are sprinkled with phrases like strike a pose, sachet across the floor, and vogue. Obviously, these are terms that we use uh, even today in the, in the drag scene. So, yeah, I mean, even though Stonewall was kind of touted as like the you know premier beginning of the fight for gay liberation... William Swan's courageous example forces us to rethink the history of the, mu- the movement, when it began, where it came from, and who its leaders were. Um, and I thought this was like an awesome, awesome find um, to celebrate not only black culture, but queer culture. So there you go. Shout out to you, William Swan. You're a bad bitch and the mother of the House of Swan. All right, y'all, let's get into Married at First Sight. I gotta say that I'm loving that they're having more interactions with the couples this season. Um, But yeah, let's get into Mindy and Zach first. Uh, So Mindy says that Zach said that the situation, like their relationship is weird for him because he's forced to make things work with somebody that he doesn't have a spark with. I find Zach so confusing, but we'll, we'll get into it. Oh my gosh. So they're laying in bed and Zach's saying that he was being too brutally honest too quickly with Mindy and that he needs to acknowledge the fact that like she's not over what he said about him like not being attracted to her and basically like that he wanted to come to a place of like mutual open communication and Mindy is my girl. I'm finding that I like her more and more because we're both like what are you talking about, bro? Like he just talks in circles. It's in it, it hardly makes any sense. Then he tries to fist bump her, which did not go over well. <laughs> um, they go and have wine on the beach and she tries to have a talk with Zach again and basically says like that she doesn't think that uh, Zach understands that his lack of actions in terms of like being, you know, like cuddly and, you know, like just treating her like a wife or like somebody that you're at least in a relationship with, um, that they're affecting her and that she's hoping that like, he'll give her kind of a sign that he'll show her something that'll like kind of ease the tension and make her feel more comfortable about like moving forward with the relationship. So, okay. It mixes the episodes, like go back and forth between, the groups and the couples. So it's a little bit confusing. So I'm going to go to another, the next couple before we get to the group shots, um, Brandon and Taylor. So in the beginning of the show, they were showing like a short montage, like they do of like, you know, the couples getting ready and waking up in the morning and getting breakfast, blah, blah, blah. And the short clip that we get of Brandon and Taylor is that Taylor's awake and she's holding, like they give, um, they give the couples like a, you know, like a little handheld camera so they can film like before they do their real filming. So Taylor's in bed. 
She's awake, and Brandon is sleeping. He's, like, lightly snoring. So she's, like, kind of making a joke about how he's snoring. And then he wakes up, sees the camera, looks at her, and immediately bolts out of bed. Um, So she's thinking, like, oh, like, he's just being funny or whatever. Um, But that is not the case. Um, So now that we see that Brandon is in this bad mood, Uh, she goes up to him while he's, like, brushing his teeth, and he's staring like he looked at her in the mirror (laughs) it was like chilling like staring daggers at her he's ignoring her um just being really standoffish and she has no idea what he's upset about so we'll end end with that before we get to the groups okay so with michael and mika we get a flashback to their fight last night where mika is like confronting michael about what he said on the plane if you guys don't remember he basically told her she says that he told her that if he um that if they didn't have sex during the honeymoon that like this was basically a wash and it wasn't worth being in or continuing to be in a relationship with her he denied even saying that, but we could tell by his dumb little face that that was absolutely true. Um, Mika's feeling really upset, so they slept in different hotel rooms for the night. Um, Michael says that he's disappointed in what happened and that he feels unheard and that they have different communication styles. Well, yeah, that is absolutely true because you're the kind of guy that would give conditions on sex and she's not the woman who would say that. And to which I ask, like, I really wonder what... <laughs> Where are these men getting this from? Where are they getting the audacity to say things like this? Like, I just don't understand the logic behind it. I don't understand the logic behind them, like, parting their lips to say it in the first place. But also, like, I just don't know. Like, how do you expect a woman to want to be physical with you when you're putting conditions or, like, a timeline or deadline on when she has to do it? Otherwise, you're out. Like, that is completely unfair. And it's weird. And I just, I, I'm failing to find the logic behind, like, why somebody would say that and expect a, a healthy, or not a healthy response, a good response. But anyway, um, so... That's the end of them until later. Um, Katie and Derek are, it was pretty short. I mean, there really wasn't much. They're like still very much in love. They're eating on the balcony and they're talking about Katie saying that Derek is quickly turning into her best friend. And this is the most aspirational relationship that I've seen on the show because they're sitting, sitting on the, on the balcony eating brunch or breakfast in their robes. And they're talking basically about how, uh, how much they love cheese (laughs) And then he gives her an insulin shot. She was saying like a lot of her ex-boyfriends had been really uncomfortable with that, but he did it well and it was perfectly fine. Um, Yeah. So then we go to Jessica and Austin. They are going to an iguana house, I guess, just to reiterate the fact that they're so awkward. Um, Austin says that he's crushing pretty hard and that he didn't expect Jessica to feel like home, which was really sweet. Um, Jessica says that she felt her, that there were times where she felt her heart skip a beat with him, um, that she has a crush, but uh, I guess we're just iguana see right because they were looking at iguanas so anyway it's official that they're officially napoleon dynamite and she is deb and she might as well just have a side ponytail um so okay so now we get to the group 
<clears throat> excuse me, we get to the group scenes. All the couples meet by the pool, except for Micah and Michael. <laughs> Micah. <laughs> Mika and Michael. Um, Mika shows up on her own and they start asking where Michael is and she's being a little bit of evasive um, until she admits that he had gotten another room for the night. So she was like, oh, I don't really know where he is. I, I don't know. Um, Taylor notes that there's something missing between Mindy and Zach, that they're not really being affectionate or as affectionate as the other couples. Um, but she's not sure what the deal is with that. Um, so then they basically go around and like, Oh, how are you guys feeling? Just checking in on like how the couples are doing. Um, Brandon, remember he was like pissed before and not talking to Taylor and Brandon starts getting really passive aggressive with the group and was like, Oh, you know, like me and Taylor are really big on respect. And then he tells everybody like how she woke him up with a camera in his face. Brandon in an interview says that he was thrown for a loop by the camera and that he's nervous. Like, Oh, is she recording me in other times when I'm not awake? Blah, blah, blah. Boy, <laughs> you're on a TV show. She was given a, a camera by production. None of this. I mean, yes, not everybody's a morning person. Not everybody wants to be woken up with a camera in your face. Like I get being annoyed by that, but like, to a certain extent, I think you just have to let it go. And like, certainly we, you think she's like a pervert, like taking pictures of you or videoing you naked. Well, get real. Ugh, anyway. Um, so Taylor now finds out what the problem is, but he's still not being nice. Uh, Michael finally shows up and he was like, oh, I, he doesn't really answer. Well, I mean, he does, but he says like, oh, I was doing an interview because he's planning on, um, being a principal. So he said, like, I was interviewing for the position of principal, but also interviewing people for, to take over my position. I cannot believe that this man <laughs> is in charge of an educational institution like that. I, I fear for him. He's got a lot of dark energy. Uh, so the men and women end up separating. Uh, the girls are all in the hot tub and the guys are all like drinking around a table Kitty starts by saying, so they're basically like, okay, girls, like, let's just like, now that the guys are gone, let's just like tell the truth about how we're really feeling. Katie says that she is saying that her main concern regarding Derek is the fact that he's never been in love. And like, she's just concerned that like, he might not be ready to do that. Um, so it's like a back and forth, like a very, you know, uh, Greece style, like, tell me more, tell me more. <laughs> so they go back and forth. So Austin, um, Derek says that he really likes her. Uh, Austin says that he's happy to be, that he was happy to be able to be himself with Jessica so quickly. And then they go to Jessica and she says that like everything that she asked for, um, that she's getting in Austin so far. Um, then Mindy tells the girls the truth that he, you know, told her, that Zach basically told her that he's used to being attracted to women right off the bat. Where has that gotten you, Zach? And notes that he, she was like, he keeps like talking about how his attraction to me, but he's never asked me if I'm attracted to him. And I've made it clear to him that physical attraction is not the only thing. And she's just like annoyed basically that like, it's all about him being attracted to her. But like, she's like, but the more you talk, the less attracted I am to you because you're being weird. Um, 
And I, I feel that. I feel that with her for sure. Um, she also says that she's frustrating to see, seeing the other couples being like so physical with each other, so touchy feely and Zach, they go to Zach and he says that he has to build up to do physical stuff. Um, but that he felt nothing during their first kiss and that he hopes to build up to that. And this is something that I think is an extremely hard thing to do. I think it's difficult to, it's difficult to find an emotional attraction to somebody that you're not initially physically attracted to. Am I saying this right? Because I, I think that like, we know we all have types, we all have preferences. We all know what we like. We have eyes. If we like it, what we see, that's it. But like, I think if you're in a situation where you're looking for somebody and you're not initially physically attracted to them, then the likelihood that you're going to grow into that by like, you know, uh, getting to know them better emotionally or whatever. I just think it's a really hard thing to do. And I think it's a really weird precedent to send. I, I think it's a weird thing to put on Mindy. Um, but I agree that Mindy says that she feels like Zach is looking for a woman who fits into a certain role. And I was talking to my sister about this. I like, he wants a Coachella girl. He wants like a hot girl. Who's like, whatever, like, you know, he just wants that vibe and that's fine. Question mark. I mean, it's his life, but like, I just think that he needs to be completely reprogrammed in terms of like how he frames relationships and like, because honestly, like, it, it out clearly what you were doing wasn't working because you're on the show. So I don't know. Um, so Mika asks the girls who has consummated the marriage and nobody admits to it. But Katie says like, check in with me tomorrow. Maybe that will change. Brandon <laughs> tells the guys that he might have sex that night. And I don't know how he's planning on doing that when he's not even talking to his wife. Um, but Derek and Katie did say that it's gotten close with them. Uh, Michael tells the guys again, what he's been telling everybody on camera, which is that he's in no rush bullshit. But, um, but he also says like, now's not the time to talk about that stuff. Um, of course, Mika goes on to tell the women everything about what he said. They're horrified and they all agree that he needs to be a lot more respectful to her, but they're hopeful that things will work out between them. So after the couples meet, um, then we get back to the individuals. So I'm going to start again with Zach and Mindy. So, okay. So they, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think a total brain melt. Um, so, okay. They're, they're talking and. Mindy's saying that she doesn't think that Zach understands that his lacks of affections are affecting her. Lack of affection is affecting her. And she brings up girl time with Zach and tells him, like, you know, I told him basically everything that's going on between them. And I am so sorry. <laughs> like, really having a brain heart. Um, She basically says, like, that she doesn't know how she how he feels about her and is in turn like she's not feeling good about herself. And then she asks him like, 
what she can do to make him happy. And this made him me really sad for her because I've been there. It's like, you're not the problem. You shouldn't be asking, you know, like if he has an issue, if you want to call it that with like not being attracted to you, like it is not your position to be asking him like what you can do to make it better. Cause there's really nothing that you can do other than be yourself. And he, he's not accepting of that. Then it is what it is. And like, she needs to separate, you know, rejection with her personal feelings about herself, but I get it. It's a hard thing to do. Um, so then Zach says that it's a matter of feeling attractive and that he knows he's like, well, I know that you're not just looking at me physically, because if you were, you wouldn't be like, basically he was saying like, I'm what he was saying is like, I'm so used to being hot that I understand that you're not falling all over me means that you're looking for more than just physical attraction. Um, then she (laughs) asks him a great question. She goes, do you think that everybody finds you attractive? Like, is this like how you live your life? And he was like, no. And he was like, I know not everybody's into that, meaning me. Mandy says, tells us that it's like a huge turnoff when somebody assumes that people are going to fall for other people because of their looks, which is so true. And I just think he's, totally programmed to be this like quote-unquote hot guy that he just he just doesn't get it it's just like a total different way of thinking when you he acts like he's basically gotten everything he's ever wanted and I just think he doesn't get it um he starts saying like words and words again. And Mindy and I are both confused about this because he never really answers her question. Um, Zach says that he's struggling because he's never had a serious conversation without being laid back, which sounds like he's just getting, he's used to getting away with whatever he wants because he's hot. Um, The next day they go on an excursion and they go to like this village, uh, like of native Panamanian people, um, And they're having like a really good time. Mandy says that she's stepping back and trying not to have, um, you know, just any expectations that Zach is going to deliver and like step up to the plate in terms of their relationship. Um, But they are having a good time. And Zach says like he likes doing these activities (laughs) because it takes away from... Um, it takes them away from having like in-depth conversations. And the Mindy actually does seem to feel a little bit better. Now to go back to what he said, like about he likes doing activities because it makes him step away from the conversations. I kind of felt him on that because I, I think it's hard. I think we've all been in relationships where like you end up getting in this cycle of like negativity where your whole relationship or a lot of your relationship ends up getting monopolized by like whatever drama or whatever issues you guys have. And so you don't take the time to like step back and actually enjoy your relationship and like refocus and like really get to know each other as people and understand why you guys were matched in this case or like why you guys were together in like a more normal case. So I I understood what he was saying, but I also think that he doesn't fully grasp like how his words really affected her and that to tell somebody that you're not physically attracted to them is 
a really hard and bitter pill to swallow. Um, but I will say that they, they did seem to get along a lot better. Um, so after the drinks, we're going to go back to Brandon and Taylor. Um, Taylor says that she was trying to make it work. She's talking into that camera that she, um, recorded Brandon on earlier. And so she tells us that she was like really trying to make things work with Brandon, that she was being really nice to him, that they were at the pool and she bought him his favorite beer and that he didn't reject it. But she's like, five minutes later, I see him drinking that same exact type of beer. So he's really just being petty and lame. Um, and she also tells us that like, she, he, I guess he um, left some clothes on the floor in the hotel room. She tried to pick him up and he snapped at her. So she's like, okay, man, like she's feeling really defeated. So they have dinner and Brandon admits that when he saw that camera, he started to have a panic attack and Taylor does not believe him at all. She thinks it's BS. And she says that it's weird and she's right that he would go all day without having communicated the fact that he felt uncomfortable or whatever. And Brandon says that he was afraid of how she would react to it. And Brandon is really like lowering in the ranks for me. So Taylor says that she respects the fact that he needed space, but that she didn't anticipate being ignored all day, especially when she didn't know what she did, um, which is more than fair. And basically they apologize. He apologizes for how he handled it. Uh, the next day they go to an animal sanctuary to feed the sloths and they're having a much better day. Uh, at the end of the episode, Brandon, uh, draws a bath for Taylor and they're like, she bought them matching, like just married swimsuits. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but he makes, he draws a bath for them and it's like a, you know, bubble bath, pedals, blah, blah, blah. And they're having a good time. So, Back to Michael and Mika. Um, they have a conversation with Pastor Cal after all the couples met up. So Mika talks to Pastor Cal first, and she says that she's not really interested in Michael right now. And she tells him everything that happened. Pastor Cal loves to play both sides of the fence. And he tells Mika, like, I'm going to get in. I'm going to really lay into him and, you know, call him, you know, call him out on whatever he said. But he said, you know, I feel like this is not Michael's character and that he, they need, they, they should maybe like refocus and reprioritize and just work on being friends. Um, so then Michael has a conversation with Cal and then he says that he was just trying to ask her where her head was at in terms of like physical intimacy or whatever. Okay. He's such a, such a fucking liar, Camille. (laughs) Um, so they have a conversation, Micah and Michael. Oh my God. I (laughs) Mika and Michael, they should have not put them together for the pure reason of this podcast. Um, So Michael and Mika have a conversation and Mika says that they should, you know, she reiterates what Pastor Cal says, that they should focus on their friendship and not put pressure on each other and, you know, to just try and figure things out and navigate things that way. And Michael's like a little bit resistant to that. And he asks her, like, 
what it'll take to feel like they're progressing in their relationship. Like, what is it going to take for you to feel more comfortable? And she clocks him immediately. She's like, well, first of all, I noticed that you're not wearing your wedding ring. And I have a bit of an issue with that. The fact that you're she's like, I feel some type of way about that. And he tells her that he's not wearing the wedding ring because he doesn't feel like he's in a marriage. And also that he feels like he hasn't lived up to her expectations or his expectations of what it means to be a husband. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. (laughs) Okay. Zamika plays this beautifully and she's like, okay, totally chill about it. She stone face is just like, okay. She took her ring off and she says, all right, well, I guess I'll just put mine back on when you feel ready to put yours back on. She didn't say it in a petty way. Just like totally, totally chill. She says in an interview that it doesn't sit right with him with her that he gets to walk around with his ring off looking single and that she's supposed to like, you know, look like this married attached woman. I agree. Um, but I also think like his question of like, what is it going to take to make you feel comfortable? Is like, how do you, how do you answer that other than just like, stop being a creep? (laughs) You know, like I don't, I don't really know what he expected her to say. Um, so, but she asked what he'll need enabled to move forward. And he says, that he that they just need to be communi- keep up communication with each other and he puts it on her and he's like I need to be allowed to make mistakes and to a certain extent that is absolutely true you guys don't really know each other and there are going to be a lot of bumps in the road regarding like you know just getting to know each other and yes you should be allowed to make mistakes with a certain amount of levity however telling somebody giving somebody <laughs> you know, conditions upon when they need to have sex with you is not like a mistake. That's just you being just like a nasty boy. (laughs) And I think he's full of it. So right now, Brandon is at the bottom. No, Michael's at the bottom for me. And Brandon is like second to last. I don't think these relationships are going to last at all. And I don't think, I think the men are the problem. And I can't recall a time where the woman in my experience watching the show where the woman has been like a hundred percent of the issue, it's always been the men every time. And I, mm, I don't know. Um, so back to Jessica and Austin, I mean, they're basically just as boring as Katie and Derek in terms of like a lack of drama. They do a couple's massage and 
they take a shower afterwards and then they hop into the hot tub and they kiss and they keep kissing and I want to say that I was surprised, but maybe I'm not. It's quickly becoming clear that Austin is like the cool one of the relationship. But anyway, they're kissing and Jessica, honey, (laughs) Austin is clearly a much better kisser than Jessica because she's like, you know, like he's trying to do like, you know, like a soft lip, like a romantic, you know, like slightly open mouth kiss, just like the normal kisses that you expect, but like (laughs) she keeps like pecking at him, like doing these pecks with her lips pursed and her mouth like tight and closed. And it's like, he's trying to do something, but like, she keeps like, like pecking at him. (laughs) It's very weird. Um, but that was basically the end of their story. Uh, then, okay. So then they have like another, couple's dinner and this is the end of the uh episode so all the everybody's there um austin asks the group how they feel like you know does anybody feel like the progressions of your relationship like are they working you know basically how is everything going katie says that she's happy and she's really the only answer that we see then jessica points to mika and michael and says you know like asks how things are going with them. And Mika says that she didn't imagine that it would be this hard and that to feel uncomfortable with somebody that you're married to is really difficult and that she doesn't know what the right path is for them. Austin also points out that Michael's not wearing his ring. And then he reiterates that excuse that he gave to Mika about like not living up to what it means to be married. And everybody's just kind of looking around. And then they get an interview with Derek. who's like, uh, no, dude, like you keep your ring on and the fact that you're not keeping it on speaks volumes. It really seems like Michael wants to make Mika the bad person, but like he doesn't quite know how to go about it because he's clearly 100% in the wrong. But yeah, I, I, I feels like he is trying to plot and make her look like the villain, even though it's clearly 100% him. Um, Taylor was like oh katie like remember when you told us to check back with you about uh whether or not you guys had sex and they basically admit to it and that jessica and austin confirmed pretty much that they uh also had sex mindy <laughs> was so sad she was like you guys zach kissed me <laughs> like everybody's trying to be like yay even though they we've been seeing every other couple like make out um but Zach says that he finds her attractive. He says that he finds the fact that like she was just owning up to the fact that like they're not nearly in a place that everybody else is to be is like physically, but he said that he liked that she didn't like try to make things seem like they were better than they were, that she was like she she wasn't letting her insecurities just saying like, yeah, this is where we are. Like, I understand like everybody else is in like a different, you know, that their things are moving faster with you guys, but like, I'm happy with where we are and there's no problem. And yeah, he says that he finds that very attractive that she just like owned up to it. <clears throat> 
So things might be taking a turn between Mindy and Zach. Um, things, I think, are going to get worse. We saw a preview of Brandon um, putting his hand in front of the production's cameras. And um, we get a clip of Taylor saying that, like, Brandon, kind of like Mika and Michael, like, he's one way um, in front of the cameras and that he is basically, like, not being kind to production. Um, there was more drama with Mika and Michael and yeah, I think just a little tiff with other, the other couples, but nothing really major until later this season. So, um, I think next week they should be ending their honeymoon and going back to the DC area, which is where things really turn up. So I'm, I'm happy to see even now that we've had like a good bit of drama, I'm, really really interested in seeing like if Mika and Michael are going to actually move in together uh last season they had all the couples move into the same complex although they didn't really take a whole lot of advantage of that I wonder if they're gonna do that same thing have them all move into the same apartment building or if they're gonna have them live like separately like they did uh in previous seasons and find their own place. But yeah, so we'll see. And that's the end of Married at First Sight for this week. Now, if you guys listen to the episode that I did with Troy about finding Talia Grace, you'll know that I love true crime. And I think that I might talk about it a little more um, on the show. But the story I'm going to tell you has been sweeping the nation, mostly because it's like a multi-state situation at this point. Um, so this is a story of Lori Vallow Daybell. Now you guys may have heard little snippets about this, but I'm going to give you the tea. I'm recording this on Sunday, so hopefully nothing happens in the next few hours. Um, if it is, I'll, I'll do an addendum at the end of this clip. Um, so there's a name, excuse me, a woman named Lori Vallow. So she marries her house. She's had five husbands. She married her high school sweetheart. They divorced shortly thereafter. This was in 1992. In 1995, Lori marries her second husband in Texas. They have a child named Colby. There are allegations of domestic violence between them, and they divorced three years later in 1998. So now, in about 2001, Lori has her third husband, a man named Joseph Anthony Ryan. This is the father of Tylee, who we'll talk about in a second. So she has a a daughter named Tylee. In 2005, he divorces Lori. And in 2018, he dies of a heart attack in Arizona. Okay. So now, Lori has four siblings. One of these siblings... Okay, sorry, sorry. I'm going to go to the husband number four. (laughs) So husband number four is Leland Vallow. Um, They married. Okay. So she divorced in 2005. She gets married again in 2006 in Las Vegas with Leland Vallow. In 2013, they adopt JJ, a boy who is Leland's grand nephew. So his siblings, grandson, basically. Um, so they adopt this kid named JJ in 2019. So February 8th of 2019, he files, Leland files for divorce, but later drops it. 
on July 11th of last year, he is shot and killed by Alex, who is Lori's brother. He claims that he shot Leland. He is also known as Charles. He claims that he shot Leland in self-defense. Um, he gets married in December, like the first or something around the first, like maybe like around Thanksgiving or something like that. 12 days later, after he gets married, he dies. Now he died on December 12th of last year of unknown causes. He is since, I, I think there, there's still an investigation, like an autopsy or they're, they're waiting for the results back on like how he died. So, okay, so now Lori's fourth husband has been killed by her brother. Um, So this was July 11th of 2019. Alice, like I said, claimed it was self-defense. And, but also we find out that Lori had earlier threatened to kill Leland Charles Vallow. So that's a very sketchy situation. So to reiterate, okay, this bitch has had five husbands. (laughs) Husband number four, no, husband number three dies of a heart attack in 2018. Husband number four is shot by her brother um, in July. Five months later, her brother dies. And like I said, they're still trying to figure out why he died. Okay, so now. Now we're getting to Chad Daybell. Chad is Lori's now fifth husband. So, interestingly enough, Chad was married to a woman named Tammy. Um, she apparently was shot at, at some point, but there was a misfiring um, on October 19th of 2019. She dies mysteriously. Um, Chad claims that this was from natural causes um, and things go on as like, uh, you know, whatever, two weeks after she died, he marries Lori two weeks after his wife dies. Um, wow. Okay. So now because of all the things that are happening, everybody thought that this was just natural causes with Tammy Daybell, but now she has been exhumed. Um, she was exhumed last month because of all the things that are going on now. So they're trying to get an in-depth autopsy on Tammy. Okay. (sighs) So much is happening. Okay. So apparently Lori is joined in recent years, a, like a doomsday prepper, like cult, religious sect, whatever you want to call it. This, um, sect has, since denounced both Chad and Lori saying that they do not uphold the values of like honesty and truth and that whatever it is that Chad and Lori have going on has nothing to do with them. They would very much like to be excluded from this narrative. Okay. So you guys. (sighs) Okay. So Lori has a niece named Melanie Cope. She was also involved in this doomsday stuff. Melanie has a husband named Brandon Boudreaux. Melanie and Brandon married in 2008. And in October 22nd of 2019, they divorced. However, 
on October 2nd of 2019, um, he was shot at, but the shot missed. Um, he is now in hiding with his children. Okay. So back to Lori. So she's got these two, three children. She's got Colby, who's 23, um, that she had with husband number two. She's got Tylee from husband number three. And now she's got the adopted son. Um, so in the midst of all this, these children go missing. They have been missing since September. Nobody's heard from them. They said that they have, um, uh, like basically they were living in Arizona. They moved up to Idaho. And basically when they, when Lori and her kids moved to Idaho, that the kids started like texting less and less, I guess the whole family is like very communicative with each other. Um, so the other family members are saying that they, you know, that the kids would go like from reaching out, you know, texting back that same day or texting back very quickly to it being like several days to get a response to several weeks to get a response. Um, I believe somebody said the last time they heard of, uh, from Tylee was from September, 2019. They have not seen, um, JJ, the adopted son since September 23rd. That was the last time he went to school. Um, so the children are now missing. It's been months. The family members have been trying to find them. Um, Lori's parents have set up like a $20,000, um, oh my gosh, what do you call it? You know, $20,000 for the, you know, to get these kids back. Um, Lori and Chad have not been, uh, accused of anything. They haven't been charged with anything. Um, all these months, these kids have been gone nothing's really happened. So they, I I believe it was November, authorities show up to Chad and Lori's home asking where the kids are. And Lori tells the police that they are staying with other family members and the police leave. The police find out that the kids are not with those family members. So when they go back to Lori's house to question her about that, they find out that Lori and Chad left. There were rumors of them over the past couple, you know, months or so that they had been in Hawaii. And so authorities finally found them on the island of Kauai, like not too long ago, like just like less than a month ago. So they've been chilling there. Um, and the police in Rexburg, Idaho have been like officially said, you need to present these children by Thursday, like a few days ago, Thursday. So let's say well, what, whatever day that was like January 30th. Um, you have until this date to produce the children, um, or else. <laughs> um, so of course that has not happened. Um, authorities have said that they don't have any record of Tylee or JJ having been to Hawaii, like having traveled to Hawaii with Lori, that they know that they're not in Hawaii at all. So Lori has not produced the children. There is a great clip (laughs) from Inside Edition on their YouTube of this was like maybe the day before or maybe a couple days before they had the deadline to produce the children. So 
Inside Edition is interviewing them. Um, you know, the walls are really closing in on them. They got their car repossessed. They had a rental car repossessed. So they end up like having to walk to wherever. So in the time to like the three minutes of them walking inside, whoever's working at Inside Edition is interviewing them. Like, where are the children? Do you understand the fact that like people are looking for your children and praying for your children just want to know that they're safe and okay. And Lori says, that's great. (laughs) Okay. So then they're like, Hey Lori, why do you have a clear plastic bag full of cash? Why are you holding that? She doesn't answer the question. I remain that this bitch was, I knew that this bitch was a murderer. I mean, because of all the evidence that I gave you, but I knew she was guilty the moment I saw, if you look at that clip, her hair is done. She's got like a, a curl going. And this is a woman who I think has completely lost it. That was all I needed to know. That curled hair is all I needed to know that she was guilty. Um, so as of now, Chad and Lori are still on Kauai. The deadline has now passed, but the Rexburg police didn't really give them consequences. <laughs> like they didn't say, and I, I'm sure that there was like a tactical reason for that. They didn't say like, what is going to happen when you, you know, if you don't produce these children. Um, so as far as I know right now, they're still free and like having a great time. Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, so what I found interesting is that I found this article from a woman who said that she had almost rented to these children in, excuse me, she had almost rented a place to Chad and Lori in November. So this woman comes out and says, um, she, they applied to live in her home in Kauai in November of 2019. Um, so, there's a lady named Jeannie Martin says that the newlyweds told her that they had relied on a sign from God to arrive at her home. They arrived unannounced at her home on November 7th. Um, this was two weeks after Chad's wife was buried in Utah. They told her, she claims that they told her that they waited all day for God to tell them which house to go to. And that he told them to come to her home. Um, so they said, she says that they wanted to rent her master bedroom upstairs and she spent a few hours with the couple. And after that, she got a text from an Idaho area code saying, this is Chad Daybell. We loved meeting you. She said that they were like really giddy that they were acting like two teenagers that had just been set free. So they applied to, excuse me, they applied to stay at the room that same day. In the application, Chad wrote that he was an author looking for a peaceful place to live. He says, I own, the house, I own a house on the mainland and I'm looking for a rental for myself and my new wife who lives here on Kauai. Um, the emergency contact that he left was for Lori. Um, and in the application, he also said that he makes $30,000 a month with his employer, which is Spring Creek Book Company. So a few days later, um, this lady learns that Chad had died. She said, the only thing I saw, I don't know why she's so, 
<laughs> invested in these people. But she said that she saw Tammy's obituary and she was uncomfortable because of the way that they were acting. She's like, they were just acting like, you know, totally free. Like we're free of the house, free of the spouses, free of the kids. So apparently Chad changed his mind about renting from her. Um, but she did ask him about his wife's death, um, in a text. So he wrote back and said, I woke up that morning and she had been dead for a couple of hours, but she had a peaceful look on her face at her burial. I felt her tell me that she was happy and helping our family on the other side of the veil. She helped me reconnect with Lori so quickly and it helped my children move forward. Um, and at this point, the lady says that she never spoke to Dave L again. And, but obviously three months later, she saw them, you know, on the news in Kauai and she said that the kids that like were barely mentioned between Lori and Chad. So as of now, they're still living large in Hawaii. Um, what else is it going to get? Okay. So Lori's first son was he has a youtube channel and oh gosh i can't think of what it's called i can't think um but he's basically been taking to youtube to like beg his mother to produce the children to be in contact with the authorities like basically just to do the right thing as of now i'm trying to look if anything has been updated like at the moment <laughs> um i don't think than anything has yeah so they're still you know the uh authorities are still looking for the children and oh okay so here's the thing that they had oh okay interesting okay so the reports from police interviews in the wake of charles vallow's so her husband's shooting death um that they feel offer odd insights and contradictions so the Chandler, Arizona police had interviewed Lori Vallow and Tylee, which is her daughter, um, about the shooting death. So, okay, so they were, okay, so sorry, you guys, I'm just reading this. Okay, so they did interviews, the police officers in Arizona did interviews in July and they noted, and I saw a clip of this, that Tylee and Lori both appeared really calm. And by the way, in that video, Tylee was wearing a shirt that said Kawhi on it. Um, so there's also like, there was like, it was like body cam footage um, that Lori was briefly smiling and laughing after she returned to the scene where her husband had been killed. So she tells in body cam footage, the Chandler police that, Lori left her rental home with the children before Charles quote came at me and hit him in the head with a bat, which led um, her brother to go to the room saying that he was going to grab his pistol and return to the room where he was arguing with Charles. So then he tells police that he shot Charles in self-defense when his brother-in-law charged him. However, Lori contradicted her brother's account. She told police that Charles had gone after Tylee with the bat and that the girl had carried into the... Okay, that Tylee had a bat in her room that she had for protection and that Charles had gone after Tylee with that same bat after Lori and Charles were arguing. 
Um, so Charles had taken the bat from Tylee and that Lori believed that she was going to hit the girl, that, that he was going to hit the girl before um, her brother intervened by grabbing her husband from behind. And so then she says, they get into this thing and he's hitting her brother with the bat and they're on the ground, like grappling or whatever. Before the physical confrontation occurred, Lori said that she had already put JJ, her adopted son, um, in the rental car to take him to school and that she had sent Tylee outside to be with JJ after the conversation, uh, the confrontation had escalated. And so Lori also told the interview that she was holding her husband's phone and that he and her brother were like wrestling around on the floor and he got up and came after her to demand to give that she give his phone back. Um, which at that point he had set it on the counter. She picked it up and that he, after fighting, he realized that she was holding the phone and tried to get the phone back. So she says that she had gone around the kitchen to try to get away from him and was turned around when she heard the gunshot. She said at that point she came back around and saw him on the ground and he was shot twice in the chest. Lori said that the sequence of events leading up to and following the shooting happened very quickly. After Charles was shot, she said she went back into the room where he laid and that he was standing, her brother was standing in front of his body. She said that her brother didn't say anything to her and that they were both in shock. And so at this point, the kids were outside. And she said that she went outside to check on the kids and she sat in the car for a minute and was like wondering what to do uh, because JJ was in the car and Tyler was freaking out. So she decided to take JJ to school. Um, neither her, neither Lori nor her brother immediately called 911 and that her brother had waited until he put the gun back in the room where he was staying and cleaned himself up before calling 911. So when police asked her brother why he was staying at Lori's rental, even though he lived like 20 miles away, he said that he was on vacation in Chandler, Arizona, and that he stayed the night because he and his sister had plans to do fun things the next day. Now, but Lori told her police, told police that she had asked her brother to stay because she was worried that her husband would come and like cause trouble. So another conflicting account. Um, yeah, so this is all very messy. Um, there are another conflicting accounts of... Okay, so the couple had been separated at the time that he was murdered. So what she told police that they had decided to separate and that her husband had um, told her that he would get a house for her. But in the divorce documents filed from February, her husband said that he had gone on a business trip when Lori took thousands of dollars out of their personal and business bank accounts, canceled his return flights and took his truck from the airport parking lot. And when he finally made it home, she had taken everything, including his shoes and his underwear. And he also complained that she had, um, abandoned the family for nearly two months and that nobody knows anywhere where she went that nobody she didn't tell anybody um so she told police that her husband was always traveling leaving her to care for jj who has special needs he's autistic and that she left for a month so to like basically teach him a lesson to quote see what she's been doing for the last seven years Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. So, like I said, as of now, Lori and Chad are still free. Um, I imagine that things are really going to turn up in the next week. Um, So I'm following it closely. I hope this was interesting to you guys because I'm invested and I'm going to be keeping you guys updated as the weeks go along. Well, I think it's very clear by the fact that I can neither think nor breathe. I'm sneezing into the microphone. (laughs) that I should probably... Just uh, call it a day for this week. Um, but what can we do? Um, I think I would like to talk about two things like super briefly. Um, first of all, I want to give the O Girl Award of the Week to one Brittany Cartwright Couchy of Vanderpump Rules. Okay, so here's the thing. I mean, listen, it's becoming clear to me that Vanderpump is certainly better this season than it was last season. However, there are obviously parts that seem very rehearsed. Um, I think everybody noticed that like maybe the second episode that, um, that Ariana had had like different hair lengths and styles in her scene with LVP. Um, but this scene I thought was particularly weird. Okay, so what happened is that the kids are, the kids are like 30 and 40. Um, they go to Miami for a joint bachelor bachelorette party between her and Jax. And it seems like everything's going well. However, the girls go to a bar in which, you know, the typical bar that you go to, the bottles popping with the sparklers on top and, you know, the signs and stuff for, you know, they're like elite, if you want to call it that, customers or, you know, the people that pay for it. So the girls went to this bar and there was a sign that they, the people at the bar did that said, don't do it, Brittany. Um, And then we find out that Brittany got really upset because Kristen put it in her head to be upset and said like, you know, that's really shitty. So then we see them crying and Brittany being really upset, talking about how she, you know, has gone through so much with Jax and how people just need to accept the fact that even though he did mess up, you know, she chose, she's choosing to be with him. They're in love and this is a relationship and that she wishes people would like stay out of it. Now, even I know, I don't think I've ever been to those types of like, you know, like douchey club, you know, DJ Polly D style, um, bars, but even I know enough to know that they do those silly little signs all the time. The fact that those girls tried to tell her. Now, I know that 
Brittany must know that because Brittany is like a Vegas kind of girl. She's the kind of girl that like loves to, you know, get a cabana at the Hard Rock and like buy a bunch of, you know, buy bottles for her friends. Like that is totally her thing. So if I know that they would make a sign like that, certainly she would know that. Even if she was super drunk, she's probably seen that sign a million times. So I just wish, I want to give the O-Girl Award to not only Brittany, but Vanderpump Rules as a whole. And I think that I'm probably going to circle back on this as the season goes on. But like, I just, stop playing in my phone. Stop playing in my face. Stop it. (laughs) The only thing that I found, I mean, I think this, like, the argument between Ariana and and Stassi, like, you know, whether or not Stassi planted her book in that, you know, Hudson News or whatever, um, or whether or not she actually found the book and, you know, there's like a fight between Ariana and Stassi now. I just think all this is very silly. I do want to give the MVP award to Sheena. I think she's doing amazing, sweetie. She's doing incredible this season. I think she's really living out loud. I mean, she's certainly, I heard that like maybe she even got demoted for the season in terms of her pay. And she's certainly pulling more weight on the show than... Katie, Schwartz, Bo, I'm sure, who's probably making more than her, even though she's been bleeding out on the show for eight years. Um, I just think it's ridiculous. I mean, I think that it is funny sometimes that they kind of like, you know, make fun of the fact that Sheena is a little bit thirsty, whatever you want to call it. But I, I think she's like the link between the old cast members and the new cast members by working. And I think... I think she's doing great. I mean, do I want to see any more storylines with Max and Brett? No, I don't want to see those sweaty little thumbs ever again, but I think she is providing the necessary entertainment for the show. And I think she's the only one doing it. And I think other than like, you know, what is Katie? What is, I really would like to know how much Katie is getting paid and when Bravo production is going to stop doing that. Like, what, what does Katie contribute to this world? Truly. I've had a theory that Katie and Tom Schwartz are Rob Kardashian and Courtney Kardashian. Katie is Courtney and Tom is Rob. Now, Tom and Rob share a love of, you know, loose fitting clothing, um, you know, an ability to like lash out for no reason. Um, uh, you know, both of them just display a very, uh, you know, uh, a very loose relationship with the ability to work and earn your keep. And I think, you know, both of them are seeing, could you imagine Katie, Stassi and Kristen having a conversation much like Kim and Courtney did about, you know, like if you had something, a business that you were passionate about, then maybe you would feel differently, but you don't. Um, Oh my gosh, I just saw a picture of Jason Momo and I've just completely lost my mind. Oh my god. That man, why is he so hot? Anyway, um so basically I just I I'm frustrated with them because I feel like Katie and Tom really get away with a lot. I feel like they're really thriving financially despite the fact that like they really don't contribute too much. Um what you know what does Katie do other than complain? What does she do other than like talk about what you know, have an opinion about people doing their jobs, even though she hasn't had like a job in years. 
she seems to be much like Amber from Teen Mom in which like the couch is her best friend. Like I've never seen somebody, you know, have a more unhealthy relationship with a sectional than the two of them. Anyway, I'm ranting. <laughs> so um, the second thing that I wanted to talk about, and I, I, I don't know, I'm very conflicted because fortunately, okay, well, I wanted to talk about Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. Fortunately for me, I have not had to deal with like any sort of assault. So I feel, you know, a little bit uncomfortable, like having a, an official stance on the situation. But basically what happened is, you know, we all know that Amber and Johnny were together for a few years and they broke up uh, mostly due to Amber saying that Johnny Depp was abusive towards her and, you know, she wanted to escape. She, you know, there were pictures released of her. Um, bruising and, and, you know, audio clips of him, you know, lashing out and being angry, clearly being drunk, um, and, you know, just being, you know, what seemed very violent. And I think, you know, this, they divorced a few years ago, but over the weekend, there were some audio clips released of what I think the Daily Mail released them. And I think both of these clips were of them either at therapy. I mean, one of them definitely was, or maybe one of them was like a private conversation. Apparently like Amber, you know, agreed to, um, you know, the recording. So these aren't like things that she's, you know, being surprised about. Um, however, you know, the hashtag came up about like, we love you, Johnny Depp. And like, we believe you. So I was very curious as about what happened. So in these, both these audio clips, Amber is admitting to hitting him. Um, she kind of like goes back and forth on with him about like, you know, like there was a situation where he said that he, she punched him and he was like, Oh, you know, it's like, she's really diminishing the fact that like, I didn't punch you. I hit you and like, kind of like get over it. You know, it's very disturbing. And, and, you know, there are clips of him basically pleading with her, you know, about we need to like end this violence. Um, so while I, you know, I mean, that's an undeniable thing. She had fully admits to putting her hands on him. Um, however, I do think that there can be nuance sometimes. And I think, you know, obviously I don't know their situation. However, I do know that like oftentimes when, people are in situations in which their partner is being abusive towards them either way, whether it's the man or the woman, woman, man, you know, whatever combination I, um, I do know that like oftentimes the, you know, the abused person will end up fighting back. They will end up, you know, hitting themselves and defending themselves physically. And I just wonder, I guess my question is because while Johnny didn't like explicitly say, I put my hands on you in these clips, he does use very, you know, pointed words. Like he says, like, I don't want us to kill each other. I don't want us to continue being um, abusive towards each other. Like he does use the word us a lot. He does not like ever say like, I don't hit you or, you know, like he doesn't say he does, but he doesn't, you know, in a way he does. So I guess my question is just like, when did this violence start? When did, you know, 
I, I don't know. It, it's all a very gray area. She never says like, oh, you know, you started this or I'm, you know, fighting, defending myself or anything like that. So I guess my question is, I'm curious as to why, you know, if they've been divorced for years now, why all this stuff is coming out now, why this wasn't, you know, used in the court of law when they were getting a divorce at the time. Like, I, I'm just very confused about the timing of the situation. Um, and I just, because, you know, his career has really suffered from it. He, you know, lost out on the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. They dropped him and, you know, going through an abuse situation is very, can be potentially very damaging to your career. Um, and I, so I, I don't know. I guess I just am curious as to like how this all started, how they got to this point, you know, I don't know. I don't know. So I'm curious to know what you guys think. Um, I hope that I didn't upset anybody by saying, you know, like, I, I think it's very clear that they're both, they both need help with that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I just am very curious as to how and why this is all coming out now, I guess. Well, with that <laughs> very depressing note, um, oh, and then maybe I'll talk a little bit about Love After Lockout because it wasn't like good enough, I don't think, to uh, warrant a full recap. However, there were things that I found very interesting, um, namely Cheryl and Josh. Um, tensions were very high between Cheryl and Josh because they were staying at his mom's house and they had like a hard out of a few days. Um, we see Josh being interviewed outside of the home and Cheryl comes barreling out. We hear audio of them arguing because, um, Josh's mom basically was trying to discipline Cheryl's child, not like in a ridiculous sort of way. Like she, I guess she just said, you know, can you clean up after yourself? And, Cheryl got really upset and said, you know, don't tell my son what to do. I will, you know, take care of him whenever I see fit. Like, don't involve, you know, just don't tell him what to do. So then we hear um, her mo his mom get upset, and we do hear what sounds like a hit, a punch. And so Cheryl comes running out to Josh and saying, like, she hit me, I'm leaving, you know, blah, blah, blah. So that I think is very interesting. I am very curious how Cheryl got a job as an intervention specialist because she seems to have no desire to do anything but escalate a situation. Um, not that being, you know, obviously not that being hit is great, but she, she, she start, picks fights where it's not necessary. Um, the second thing that I wanted to uh, addresses Andrea and Lamar. So Andrea and Lamar decide that this is going to be the time where they should tell, um, Andrea's children about the fact that Lamar is the youngest child, Priscilla's father. Um, so they take them to like a soda jerk or something, which I didn't even know existed because I thought you couldn't have caffeine, um, in the Mormon faith. And I, if, Maybe even, I think they have like rules about sugar. I don't know. But, um, but they take them there and Andrea tells them, <laughs> Andrea tells them that, um, you know, Andrea and the Marbles tell the kids, like, we just want you to know that Priscilla is, um, Lamar's biological child and, you know, I, 
how it happened, which was that she paid a prison guard to, for quote, you know, uh, closet time. And then they, <laughs> what Lamar calls made love in the closet. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know what's really super romantic about like, I mean, we, we know that these prisons are disgusting. So ugh. <laughs> Uh, banging next to a dirty mop is not really my, uh, idea of romance, but to each their own. Anyway, um, so <laughs> at one point, Andrea says, I know that you thought that I was pregnant by the Holy Ghost and that's how I got Priscilla. <laughs> now, <laughs> um, immediately her 14 and 17 year old children are like, mom, we did not think that like, we're not that stupid, <laughs> but, um, I, I think it's so interesting on these shows. Like, why is there such a trend of these children being much more grounded and, um, you know, like logical than their own parents? I feel bad that these kids seem like they're parenting themselves and their their own parents. Um, Nyla, the daughter, got really upset and she said, you know, I'm not even upset at Lamar. I'm upset with my mom because it seems like every time we turn around, she's admitting to having told another lie. And I just can't believe that I, you know, have to deal with this with my own mother. She said, I'm not even mad at Lamar. Like this was her opportunity to be honest with us. And she chose not to be all these years. Um, because, uh, Priscilla's like seven. Um, so yeah, I just found it very interesting that Andrea keeps, she seems to have like a, um, um, like a habitual lying situation. So I don't know. I am very curious about how all of that's going to shake out. Um, unfortunately there's no new 90 day fiance this week because of the Super Bowl. So we'll be missing out on that. And yeah, I just think you guys have a happy, blessed, uh, black history month. And if you haven't given me a five star review, now would be a great time to support black business. Don't you think? All right. <laughs> well, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. I'll catch you next week when I'm feeling better. Hopefully. All right. Well.